It's Megacon from March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Megacon is the Southeast's largest comic book, science fiction, fantasy, anime, gaming, toys, multimedia event. The showroom has over 110,000 square feet of exhibitor space. Meet your favorite comic book artists, get autographs from your favorite celebrities, enter a costume contest, visit continuous anime viewing rooms, view the Indie Film Festival, and so much more. You don't want to miss it. One-day tickets are $24.49 in advance, $30 at the door. Or go for all three days for just $58.04 in advance or $60 at the door. I, Scott Gardner, will be there Saturday, March 16th from open to close, wandering the floor in my Two True Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's Megacon, March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center, Hall D, that's 9800 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. Be there. Back to the Bins proudly presents... I've got a few things to say about Superman. Welcome back to I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman and the 75th anniversary of The Man of Steel. My name is Scott Gardner and we're going to jump right into this episode with Action Comics number 365, the saddest story ever told, Superman's Funeral. This is the July 1968 cover dated issue. And I have to say, of uh, this story that I've been covering, the uh, Super Leper from Krypton story, where Superman has caught Virus X, the leprosy from Krypton, uh, I love this. Uh, I love this story. Uh, this is an exciting chapter. However, of all the covers, this is the only one I don't really dig on all that much. Now, in fairness, all the other covers are by Neil Adams, so you know it's hard to measure up to uh, well to a god, frankly. But. Uh, this one, you know, it's not bad. I do believe this is Ross Andrew on this. I didn't look it up, but I believe that this is Ross Andrew. It's not a bad cover by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, you know, it's not a Neil Adams cover. But it's a very cool cover nonetheless. It has Superman, and he's in his space coffin. And it has a, a clear plexiglass uh, covering over it so we can see in and see him. And, of course, he can see out. Well, even if it was covered, he can see out. He has x-ray vision. But he can see out. He's thinking to himself... In split seconds, my space coffin will speed into the hottest sun in the universe. Goodbye, Lois, Lana, Lori, Supergirl. And what's neat is Supergirl has this big... Um, I'm not sure how to describe it. It almost looks like a snow globe. It actually, it, it's sort of reminiscent of her uh, home place, her uh, Argo City. You know, the city that was encapsulated in a force field bubble type of thing and survived the destruction of Krypton. Supergirl is actually flying with this, carrying it, and inside, hunched down and looking like they're cowering in fear almost, you've got Lois, Lana, and uh, Lori the mermaid inside. And Lori's actually in a uh, in a glass tube filled with water. It's it's a pretty cool cover, and the, there's this big blazing sun. 
It's all swirly. It has these big solar flares coming off of it and everything. And uh, it occurred to me the incredible irony with this particular storyline that never really struck me before. Superman throws himself into the sun in this story. (laughs) I think that's awesome. Anyway, we get a, a beautiful, when we turn the page, beautiful opening splash page. And you've got the Justice League all gathered around this very odd statue of Superman. Um, Superman, he looks doughy. He's he's very um, wide. He's very doughy. He's kind of squat. It, it's almost like the like the statue melted a little bit or something. The 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 position of Superman on the statue is is very very awkward. The base of the statue is very awkward too. It almost looks like it's like it got busted up or something. But anyway, you've got the uh, Justice Leaguers all standing around. You've got Hawkman, the Flash, Green Arrow. This is back in his his older costume before he got the beard and every before he got the Neil Adams makeover. Basically, you've got uh, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, teeny tiny little Adam standing directly in front of Superman's uh, statue. They're all bowing their heads. A couple of them have tears in their eyes. And uh, off to the side, you've got Batman. Batman's actually lifting his hand and pointing at the the statue of Superman. You've got behind him Martian Manhunter. He is crying. And Robin is there as well. So it's Batman and Robin. And the Flash is thinking to himself, Batman crying. That's one for the books. Alp. He's always <laughs> like these weird little sound effects they used to do back then. He says, I'm all choked up myself. And Batman is delivering a a eulogy of sorts. He says, members of the Justice League, let us bow our heads in sorrow to honor our gallant comrade Superman, who gave his life in the fight against evil. And the little caption box at the bottom says, yes, the whole world bowed in sorrow. All Earth grieves the passing of the mighty Superman. You think this is a hoax, a gag, a put on? We wish it were. But the truth is that this is the heartbreaking tragedy of Superman's funeral. And uh, I gotta be honest with you, th- this one is a tearjerker. This this one gets me right where I live. I like this story a lot. So we pick up exactly where we left off in the last issue, and it's the tragic day. And uh, the flags of the United Nations fly at half-staff as the uh, space... Now, I've never heard this word before, or at least I don't remember this word. And it's funny because now I've seen the same word several times in several different comics that I've been reading lately. But the word is spelled B-I-E-R. Beer? I'm not sure. But it's basically, it's the coffin. And uh, the people are gathered around on the lawn or the, the whatever this is, the um, promenade in front of the United Nations. And the people are watching as Superman's rocket takes off. And uh, someone says, there it is now. Superman's space beer says, taking his dying body away from the earth that he loved. And someone else is saying, Superman, leaving us forever. This is the saddest day in history. And I love the period outfits that everybody's wearing. This is, this is awesome. We get uh, some, of the, uh, some folks in an observatory watching Superman taking off into space. And one of the guys, the guy that's sitting looking through this giant telescope, says he's passing the orbit of Pluto, the furthest point in our solar system. And another guy who's got a clipboard and a pen, so I don't know what he's taking notes of, but he says his destination is Flambron, (laughs) the hottest sun in the universe. That's where Superman wants to be cremated. And they start to reflect on the whole situation. And basically, 
it becomes a mini flashback to catch us up on what exactly is going on with Superman that, uh, you know, he caught Virus X, that it was created by Lex Luthor that wanted uh, revenge on Superman, blah, blah, blah. And we see Superman and his rockets really hauling. It's uh, flying through space. It's passing all these different uh, landmarks in different places. And there's a great little moment where he's flying past this planet, Nor, K-N-O-R-R, Nor. And uh, it's uh, inhabited by these bird people. And uh, they're honoring Superman because Superman once saved them from the... uh, the serpent people of the Viper planet. And Superman uses his telescopic vision to uh, look down on Nor, and he sees that the people there are honoring him with their weird grief ceremony. And for the next 40 minutes, the entire planet wears blindfolds. Everybody on the planet wears blindfolds and wanders around. And it's hilarious. It looks like people are running into like pillars and and walls and they're stumbling all over. They're walking with their hands out in front of them. And the little, (laughs) there's a moment where a little, a child, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but the mother, they're both blindfolded. The mother's feeling her way around and the child's saying, why, why must we wear blindfolds? And she says, Superman, uh, because the great Superman is dying, we cover our eyes for two chronons, which is 40 minutes in Earth time, to show that the uh, that these are the darkest moments in the history of Nor. So, I, I guess these people got it pretty easy if this is their darkest hour. Anyway, then Superman pla- passes the planet Lexor, and this is the home, or, or this is the world that, uh, basically where Lex Luthor is a hero at some point in the past, and I don't know that I've ever actually read the story, so I'm, I might have to go check it out one of these days, but at some point in the past, Superman, or excuse me, Lex Luthor did something to help out the planet, um, I don't think it was originally called Lexor. I think it had a different name. He helped out these people and uh, and became their hero, and they, they liked him so much that uh, I think they renamed the planet Lexor, and, and basically they worship him. They think he's awesome. But now, somehow or other, they've caught word of what he's done to Superman and Superman's passing their planet in his space coffin and everything, and uh, they're pissed. So they riot and they, they go into the Luther Library and they're throwing all the books onto a giant bonfire. They pick up chairs and axes and clubs. They start smashing all of the equipment that, uh, that Luthor has created to uh, benefit their society. They tear down this giant Luthor statue that's, uh, that's out in a courtyard. And it, it's, it's just hilarious. And Superman, um, he, he's... I don't know if he's gloating so much, but he's kind of thinking to himself as he's passing along. He says, how ironic, as Luthor's enemy, the Lexorians hated me for years. Now, even they mourn my death. By killing me, Luthor lost the love of a whole world. And I thought that was kind of kind of an interesting thought. And then Superman kind of feels death approaching. And he says, I feel weaker, weaker. Death must be approaching. He says, I can see my whole life. Uh, pass before my eyes. My super memory is bringing back my past with total recall. And uh, we get some really nice flashback scenes. We, of course, uh, get the destruction of Krypton, which is, here it's called a nuclear catastrophe, which I thought was kind of a strange way of putting it. If you weren't familiar with the story, which seems almost impossible, but if you weren't familiar with the story... It almost makes it sound like maybe they had like a war or, you know, something they'd been toying with nuclear energy or something like that. And that is what caused the uh, the destruction of the planet as opposed to 
whatever it was during this time. I always thought it always feels to me like the the destruction of Krypton um, has mutated over time to where it's been different reasons of, of why it was destroyed, whether it was, you know, internal stresses or the sun or the planet, just whatever different reasons for why the planet has been destroyed. I can't remember if this is before or after the whole thing with, um, I think it was called black zero or something like that. I, I read that story recently and it's, it's wacky, but it kind of lends a different dimension to the destruction of Krypton. Anyway, his, uh, recollections go along explaining the, the creation of kryptonite and the creation of the other colors of kryptonite, like red, white, and gold. Um, Superman, you know, or, you know, as a baby arriving on earth. And there's a great shot here of the, uh, the rocket plowing into the ground, the windshield pops open and super baby just like flops out on the ground with a thunk. He's found of course, by Jonathan and Martha Kent who, uh, who take him in and raise him. Um, nice panel of, uh, little tot Clark Kent ripping a, uh, stump out of the ground and, uh, his father realizing that he has super strength. Nice uh, shot as well of uh, Superboy donning his costume for the first time. And this sequence, these type of sequences always, uh, they always make me feel weird because that, again, that, that has been very fluid over the years to where, you know, it seems like he's aged and de-aged depending on the story of when he put on the costume for the first time. Because I had always thought he was, he was very, very young. Like, I want to say like, eight years old or something when he first donned the costume. And I think I get that from like the Elliot S. Megan um, novels on the subject where, where he was actually very young, but here he's, uh, he looks practically full grown. He's, he's definitely in like teen years, but uh, you know, it shows him going into action as Superboy and, and uh, you know, just recounting that whole history and everything. And, his mind actually takes a turn where he starts thinking about his real parents, uh, Jarrell and Laura. And, uh, there's a brief little thing here of, you know, wondering what his life might've been like had Krypton not blown up. And, uh, he basically sees himself becoming a, uh, a scientist like his father working on robot spacecraft for interplanetary exploration, which I, I really like. And the costume that he's wearing in this particular part looks a lot like uh, Tommy Tomorrow to me. It's kind of key, kind of uh, interesting. He starts thinking about uh, Lana Lang, his first love and everything, um, his first exposure to kryptonite. And uh, that's a great little moment where he's laying in bed and he's got this fever and his mother's, you know, taking his temperature and everything. And they're wondering, you know, what in the world could be affecting Superboy is supposed to be invulnerable, and nearby is this uh, this chunk of kryptonite, which, of course, they don't know what it is. It's just this glowing uh, meteorite that uh, Pa Kent had found and given to him to for Clark's mineral collection. But eventually they figure out that uh, it's the rock that's causing the whole thing, and that's basically the origin of kryptonite. Great little moment where he thinks about what basically started the feud between him and Lex Luthor, where uh, Luthor's lab was on fire superman or superboy rather comes in blows out the fire with his uh, super breath and somehow the chemicals in the fire and everything uh caused luther's hair to fall out and of course that becomes the origin of uh his beef with superman basically super superboy made him bald so he hates him and wants to destroy him Ugh. I think that's one of those origin stories that's best not re-examined back then. I think, I think they just needed to move past that. Um, there is a really neat scene here that I don't remember ever seeing this before. It was one of those things where when John Byrne did it in 
the the mid to late 80s, I thought, oh, that's a great idea. Why did nobody ever think of that before? Where well, apparently it was thought of, and that's kryptonite bullets. There's a great scene here where uh, young Lex Luthor has a machine gun, and the clip is full of glowing kryptonite bullets. I think that's pretty neat, and he's uh, taking shots at uh, at Superman or Superboy. A moment that made me very uncomfortable in the book is where, again, Superman thinks, you know, has a, a what-if moment. And his what-if moment is, what if Lex had used his super brain for mankind? And it shows Lex Luthor, and he's getting the Nobel Prize for Chemistry for creating a living, super-strong being out of synthetic protoplasm. This makes me uncomfortable because this implies that Luthor would create these things to serve mankind. Um, I don't know. And the guy that's giving him the award says, living, super strong being. So, I don't know. If it's a living being and he's creating it, you know, what Superman's thinking is, you know, for mankind. I don't know. I think that goes kind of down kind of a dark path. But anyway, moving along past that. He's thinking about, you know, being infected by uh, virus sex and what a miserable way to die. But he says, at least I gave my life in the fight against crime and evil. And he starts thinking about his pals, the Legion of Superheroes, and how honored he was to be able to join their ranks and travel into the future and all that cool stuff. Thinks about the end of his Superboy career when his parents died. And it says here of a mysterious fever that even my superpowers couldn't cure. And uh, it's weird because in this scene, now, of course, it's a very small panel and it's hard to make out a lot of the detail, but it kind of looks like Martha and Jonathan, you know, their, their graves are side by side, but it looks like there might be, there's other objects that are, it's tough to tell what they are, but they look like they might be other tombstones. Now, I always thought that Martha and Jonathan Kent back in these days were buried in back of the house. I don't think that they were interred in a cemetery. I could be wrong about that. Maybe that was retconned later, but I do remember a story where Pa Kent came back from the dead. It was That was a great story. And I remember Superman goes back to the old uh, Kent house, the old Kent homestead, and the, the graves are in back of the house. And I know that was referenced in other stories, but of course that's years later. That's That was in the 80s, so... You know, these things could have changed over time. He uh, reminisces about what is essentially his first love, and uh, that's Lori uh, the Mermaid and how he met her. You know, she uh, was basically, she was posing as a crippled girl. You know, she was in, a, in an old rickety wooden wheelchair, and uh, she, you know, wore the blanket over Think Professor X back in the 60s, and it's essentially the look she's got going on here. But eventually... He loves her. He proposes marriage, but he tells her there's something that she must know. But she's ar- she already knows, and that's that he's Superman. So when she reveals that she knows that, she also reveals to him that she is a mermaid from the sunken city of Atlantis and that her people all have telepathy, and that's how she knew who he was and could read his mind. And uh, that's a story that uh, I'll have to dig out and examine sometime on the show because I love that story. I love both the original story and I love uh, John Byrne's retelling of that story. That's a really great Superman story, one of the classics. He reminisces about going to college and uh, getting his first job, or his job rather, as reporter for the uh, Daily Planet meeting Perry White, meeting Lois Lane, who he takes an instant uh, liking to. What a gorgeous girl, he says. And then basically how the whole thing started with him basically becoming a self-appointed guardian and protector of Lois Lane and uh, 
talking about how he's constantly saving her from danger. Now, I always thought, and, and a lot of the old comics seem to reflect this, that Lois Lane was kind of a pain in the butt for Superman, you know, that, that she was constantly getting in danger. And I can remember a lot of times he'd kind of scold her because, frankly, he's Superman. He's got more important things to do than constantly pull her bacon out of the fire. But in this... He's very loving about it. And of course, you know, he's on his deathbed. He's reminiscing. So, you know, maybe he's cutting her, you know, mentally cutting her a break. But uh, I really like the moment where he's pulling her away from a volcano. And she says, do you realize this is the third time you've rescued me this week? And you'd think he'd be scolding about it. But uh, he just says true. And then to himself, he's thinking, I can't stand the thought of anything happening to her. I think that's I think that's very sweet. And you turn the page, and he's actually thinking to himself, Lois, he says, I loved you best of all, but thank heavens we never married. I would have left you a widow. He thinks about Brainiac and how he rescued uh, the bottle city of Candor from Brainiac, took it to his Fortress of Solitude and, and set it up, and uh, how it's a nice piece of his home world. And that, of course, gets him to thinking about yet another survivor of Krypton, and that was Supergirl, and how she came to Earth, and uh, how proud he was to you know, to tutor her and eventually reveal her presence to the world and everything. He thinks about his best pals, Batman and Robin, and uh, how they all exchanged identities. And this has got to be about the umpteenth different version I've seen of, you know, the meeting and the and the swapping of identities between Superman, Batman, and Robin. And uh, this particular one, <laughs> I don't even remember. So we'll chalk it up to, you know, Superman, you know, his, his sentimental looking back type of thing. It might not actually be pulled from any real story at all. He thinks about uh, ugh, Jimmy Olsen. And again, he's cutting Jimmy a great big break here because he's reminiscing. He says, how I, uh, excuse me, how he enjoyed that supersonic signal watch I gave him. And uh, I would think that that would be one of Superman's biggest regrets, is giving that idiot a watch that could call him constantly. And he did call him for the stupidest stuff. There's a story that I'm I pretty sure there's it happens, or there's a moment, rather, that I'm pretty sure happens in a story that I plan to cover, where basically Jimmy uses his signal watch to call Superman just to show off to his friends. He's like, look, if I push this button, Superman appears, and Superman pops in, and he's like, hey, Jimmy, how's it going? I would think he'd be like, Jimmy the hell you know i mean you know, while he's doing this you know there's there's people that could be you know uh, a volcano's going off or you know their cars going off a cliff or you know whatever it, it but i don't know again superman he's uh he's just reminiscing about his buddies and everything but it's great here it shows uh jimmy is calling with his signal watch and i always like the little z z z that came out of the uh out of the signal watch he's calling superman he says superman i clobbered these hoods with judo <laughs> he says how about carrying them to the clink i'm thinking how about you go to a payphone and call a cop but superman he's nice he says sure thing tiger he calls him and he thinks about how together he and uh, Jimmy became the Batman and Robin of Kandor, uh, Nightwing and Flamebird. I always like those stories. Despite how I feel about Jimmy Olsen, I do always like and enjoy a good Night Nightwing and Flamebird story. I liked it better when it was when they basically gave up the identities and let actual Kandorians adopt those roles. I like those stories a whole lot, but one way or the other. Then he finds himself pat, uh, passing the Bizarro World peopled by imperfect Superman doubles. 
and there's a couple of bizarros that fly out into space and they're basically celebrating that uh, Superman is on his way to his death and they celebrate by throwing red and white kryptonite at Superman's coffin and it just harmlessly bounces off but one piece of white kryptonite actually gets lodged and actually sticks to the side of Superman's coffin and Superman is thinking to himself poor idiotic bizarros red kryptonite has only temporary effects on me. And I'm dying anyway, which... Okay, I'm taking that as an explanation for why the red kryptonite doesn't do anything to him. Superman's saying, well, normally it would affect me, but what the hell, I'm about to die anyway, so it's not going to do anything to me. That... I don't know, does that wash? Anyway, this whole thing with the kryptonite, it's going to go to weirder places than this, so I'll let it go. And then he talks about white kryptonite, and he says, as for white kryptonite, he says, it only destroys plant life. More on this later. So, he sees a brilliant light, and he realizes it's a flare. Someone's trying to catch my attention. He looks, and he sees, uh, basically the cover image. He sees Supergirl flying up with this, uh, this giant platter, and with the bubble over the top of it. Again, think snow globe. Inside are... Lois, Lana, and Lori Lamaris, and all of them looking very uncomfortable. It's, they're really, they're kind of hunched down, crouched, because, you know, come on, Supergirl, you couldn't make a, a, a comfortable bubble. You couldn't make a bubble with seats, or at least where they could stand up all the way or something, but no, they're all hunched up. It looks very, very uncomfortable to have flown virtually, you know, who God knows how far. I mean, the sun was described as being the hottest one in the universe. That means it could be, you know, an infinite distance away from the earth. Not really adequately explained, but anyway, she's flown all the way out here with Superman's uh, loves so that they can all see him and say goodbye. And Lois, she's sobbing. She says, I'll never love anyone else. And Lori, of course, Lori went on to get married. She's she, so she's actually a married woman, but still this was her first love. And she says, I'll never forget him. Never. And Lana is equally upset. And she just says, my first sweetheart. And she's sniffing. At this point, we can finally see the end. And Superman sees Flambron, the son uh, in which uh, his funeral, you know, it's going to become his funeral pyre. And Supergirl, she uh, she's thinking about this. And she says, I better turn back before the space bubble melts. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. You don't you don't want to kill all of Superman's uh, girlfriends. And she says, farewell, cousin. I'll try to take your place. But who can equal Superman? Indeed, Supergirl. Indeed. And the very last panel of the book, which is a very disturbing image. Now, granted, uh, you know, th- this was arguably, you know, still at a time when, when comics were, were pretty much for kids. I, you know, while I really love this story, I mean, th- this is pretty much aimed right at kids. This is a disturbing image, this very last panel, because it's Superman headed headfirst into the sun. And you can see it's basically it's a, it's a headshot of Superman. And it's at a 45 degree angle with his head aiming, you know, he's going headfirst into the sun. The flames are licking the side of the of the space capsule and it almost looks like the plexiglass is beginning to melt away. And it looks for all the world like Superman's face is disintegrating. It's like the, the pieces and the chips of the, uh, of the space leprosy, you know, has made him all like green and scaly. And it looks like he's actually dissolving. Like it's actually chipping away. It's a very disturbing image. And he's thinking to himself, Flambron, 
mightiest solar furnace in the universe whose incandescent neutronic flames the hell are neutronic flames uh, neutronic flames match the searing heat of a thousand normal suns in another second i'll be a pinch of cosmic dust can this really be the end for the man of steel if it is we're going to have a mighty empty section in the next action but there's a clue to the story's surprise conclusion in this chapter. And you have a whole month to figure it out. I'm going to say right now, if you're familiar with Superman from this era, particularly if you're familiar with, say, Legion of Superhero stories and how they would do this sort of thing, where they would tell you at the end of a chapter, um, we've given you all the clues you need to figure out this mystery. Can you do it? And they'd throw down the gauntlet. Are you smart enough or are you a moron? Can you figure out exactly what blah, blah, blah is? Nine times out of 10, there's not a chance in the world that you're going to figure out what that mystery is because the logic of the story, and I use logic in air quotes, um, doesn't really match up at all with the thing that you were supposed to uh, figure out and uh, don't want to spoil ahead too much, but yeah, that's definitely the case with this particular story. Love it. I love this story. That's why I'm covering it. I think this is one of the classic Superman stories. Uh, one of my absolute favorites, but yeah, the resolution of this story doesn't hold up under close scrutiny or uh, real science or comic book science or logic or uh, horse sense. So yeah, really looking forward to that. That'll be next time, Action Comics 366. And uh, But for now, wow, Superman throwing himself into the sun. There's, oh, I love it. I love it. Real quick, couple of ads in here worth mentioning. There is a great house ad on the inside front cover. It says, everybody has problems. And uh, I like this. Is this an answer to Marvel Comics, possibly? But there's a great uh, ad here for Green Lantern... Wow, I cannot read the number on this. It looks like it might be 62. I really can't see. It kind of looks like a Neil Adams cover, but again, it's hard to make it out. But it says, uh, uh, but who would you say has more, Green Lantern or Superman? And the Superman cover is Superman number 208. It's a great Neil Adams cover of uh, Superman. And he's stuck wearing this goofy necklace. And the story says, uh, how the mob belled Superman like a cat. <laughs> I think I have this issue. Don't know that I've ever read it, but I really like the cover on that particular one. Uh, let's see what else we might have for uh, ads in this one. I'm not sure that there was anything else that really caught my eye. There's a uh, an Anzio Beach Aurora model kit that uh, I like the art in the ad. Uh, what? I, oh, yeah. Never before in one giant issue, the secrets of Batman's spectacular equipment. And this is a uh, 80 page giant Batman. It's Batman number 203, Spectacular Secrets of the Batcave. And I love the poster. That's it's, it's this great cover. I'm not sure who it is. It looks like Neil Adams to me, but I'm not sure. But Robin is crouched down at this uh, really cool, like, uh, like very modern style, you know, for the period, modern style table. And on the top on the tabletop are models of the bat plane, the bat, uh, the Batmobile. And this is like the sixties TV show era Batmobile and the Batcopter. While Batman 
is he looks like he's talking to Robin, like he's saying something, but he's leaning against the wall and he's leaning against a uh, a cutaway poster that says Secrets of the Batcave 1968. And it's really a cool cutaway uh, poster of the Batcave. And then up in the uh, upper left corner, again, a shot of the uh, 60s TV show Batmobile. This is a great cover. And this is one of those issues I keep meaning to track down just because I like the cover. Um, but I'm pretty sure I don't have that particular issue in my in my own collection. I'd like to, though. I really like that. There's uh, a house ad, again, for Batman. Operation Blindfold, a daringly different Batman, combining the writing skills of Frank Robbins with the artistic genius of Irv Novick. Um, yeah, don't really care for either one of these guys. And I don't have this one. This is uh, Batman uh, 204. So you can tell what was hot and heavy with... Uh, with DC at the time, and it was definitely Batman. This was right during the uh, Batman TV show era. We get another, uh, or no, this one, I was going to say another Aurora ad. This one's actually an ideal ad for Boaterific, new action fleet of uh, little model boats. Just some odd stuff. The power of self-defense. Another model ad. This one's for Ravel. And that's about it. We got the Metropolis mailbag, direct currents with some interesting stuff uh, pictured here. An issue of the Atom, a picture of uh, an issue of the Flash. The numbers are way too small for me to make out what issues there are. And a Tootsie Roll ad. That's about it for this time around. I don't want to go too long with this show. This is intended, after all, to be uh, just a short little, uh, just a short little show. Me talking about my favorite superhero. So I'm going to wrap it up here for this time. But a couple of quick things before I go. Let me just uh, pull up the right file here. Talked about Megacon at the beginning of the show. Uh, definitely, if you have the uh, opportunity to go, I'm going to be there. And uh, it's a great con. So uh, definitely look forward to checking that one out. Also, I wanted to put out the plea for email. The email box is empty. So if you're digging the show, not digging the show, have suggestions, have whatever, comments, criticisms, Write in, let me know what you're thinking about the show. You guys have said some really, really nice things about it. I know that uh, people uh, were really glad to see the show come back and everything. Uh, and, and this is all based on uh, Facebook feedback that I got. But uh can't really cover the Facebook stuff on the show. I really, uh, email is really the best way to, uh, you know, to have stuff talked about on the show itself. So email in, let me know what you're thinking about the show. What do you think about this storyline? Are you digging it? Do you remember it? Um that sort of thing. Lastly, iTunes, iTunes, please, please, please take a moment out of your day. If you are an iTunes user, if you, if you're enjoying the show, uh, if you're a faithful listener to, to this or anything else on the uh, two true freaks network, just take a moment, please go to iTunes, rank us, rate us, leave a little comment. Um, we would really appreciate it. It helps grow the show. It helps get us more attention, uh, grow the listenership, and uh, we would just we would really appreciate it. Lastly, if you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend, uh, spread the word, let them know about. Uh, I've got a few things to say about Superman. I really enjoy the show. I'm glad that it's back. I'm really going to try to stick to uh, a monthly format, and get something out regularly and on time. So, your support is appreciated. It keeps me on track, motivated, and uh, wanting to pump out some more uh, some more episodes. So. Until next time, take care, and I'll be talking to you. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's hear it for Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at Two True Freaks. .libson.com From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway from the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the daily planet look up on the screen it's superman superman the movie